You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. All right. Good morning, Radiant Church. So good to see all of you guys here. If you are brand new with us, we're so happy that you are here. Welcome. My name is Marco. I'm the lead pastor of Radiant Church. And thank you again for making Radiant a part of your weekend. Before we dive into our brand new series this morning, I have a couple of quick announcements. We're getting ready to launch a brand new semester of groups here at Radiant Church. And I am just here to ask for some more leaders. We could use some more people to lead those groups or facilitate those groups. You know, over the last couple of weeks, I've had some people approach me and say, hey, do you have this type of group? And most of the time, the answer is no, we don't, because it takes leaders. And let me encourage you this morning, though. If if you've come up to me, or maybe God has placed a topic on your heart or perhaps um, a certain book of the Bible, or even uh, whatever that might look like. Listen, it's likely that maybe God is calling you to facilitate that group. You know, some people want to go deeper into, let's just say, the book of Ephesians. Well, maybe God is calling you to do that. Buy a few books, study up somewhat, and take some people through that book over the next few months. Maybe it's something like running, or maybe even just a dinner group where you gather together to pray together and just have an awesome homemade meal. It can be anything like that. But if that's you, I want to encourage you to see one of the leaders here today. We can help you structure that time so that it will be beneficial to those who are a part of that group. So please let us know today as we're looking for just a few more groups to launch this fall semester. And then I have one more quick announcement, and it's this. This uh, coming October... October 2nd, to be exact, we're launching a brand new ministry here at Radiant Church, and we're calling it Radiant 5-6, or Radiant 56, this idea of a ministry for 5th and 6th graders. And so we're super excited to begin this ministry because here in our church, we obviously have a need, and so we're expanding that. Carter Goss is going to lead that, and he's currently building a team. And so when we launch this ministry, it will only be second service, but our hope, of course, is over time, we'll be able to do that for both services. So if you have a fifth or sixth grader at home, we would love them to join us beginning October 2nd for second service for Radiant 5-6. All right. Well, today, listen, we're beginning a brand new six-week message series, maybe seven, depending on how excited I get about this series, but six-week message series entitled Spiritual Warfare, Our Spiritual Battle Against the Forces of Darkness. Now, this is loosely based upon a teaching that I did for the men's groups and the women's groups here at Radiant Church. If you weren't here for that, don't worry. I'll cover most of that and so much more. But today, to begin sort of to lay a foundation on spiritual warfare, I want to just begin by saying this. I don't know if you you know this, but like it or not, we've all been enlisted in an army. And this army is an army of those who claim or call themselves believers, followers of Jesus. Now, this army, unfortunately, is not in a time of peace, but this is a time of warfare. And so we've all been enlisted in this army, and we're in the middle 
of a spiritual battle. Now, let me say this. Our battle is not against people. Now, it's easy to blame people, isn't it, right? That's naturally what I want to do. It's probably naturally what you want to do. You want to blame someone for the problem. You see, our problem, or our battle, rather, is actually not against people, but it's against three different things. And I want to outline those for you today. Now, here's a caveat today. I'm going to do a lot of teaching just so you know. So if you're a bit of a note taker, this is like a really good sermon for you because there's going to be a lot of teaching, okay? So our battle, remember, is not against people. Our battle, however, is against three different things. And here they go. Number one, our battle is against the devil and his lies. Our battle is against the devil and his lies. Number two, our battle is against disordered desires that live on the inside of us. Disordered desires that live on the inside of us. And finally, number three, our battle or our fight is against a sinful society that normalizes and celebrates evil. Let me just recap that really quick for you. Number one, our battle is against the devil and his lies. Our battle, number two, is against disordered desires that live on the inside of us, every single one of us, by the way. And then finally, number three, our battle is against a sinful society that normalizes and celebrates evil. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, these in depth today, so we'll, we'll get back to that. But I also want to say as we begin is this. Let me say that there are only two kingdoms. There are only two kingdoms. There is, on one hand, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. On the other hand, is the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of darkness. Only two kingdoms exist. Now, what does that mean for all of us today? If you're here, if you're watching online, that means this. That means you're either in one or the other. That's what that means. You're either in the kingdom of the light or you're involved in the kingdom of of darkness. Now, if you don't believe that, because that may be a little bit of a shocking statement for some of you, you're like, wait a minute. Let me just show you a verse. It's 1 John 5, 519. John writes this. He says, we know that we are children of God and that the what? The whole world. This is shocking, by the way. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. It's like, whoa, are you serious? This is what John says. This is what John writes. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. And this is such a profound statement because here's what John is doing. John is smashing this idea of spiritual neutrality. There's no neutral ground is what John is saying, right? There's no, there's no third option. There's only the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. There's no, well, he's nice, and so I don't think he's part of darkness. Right? I get it, and it feels a little awkward, doesn't it? It feels a bit shocking, but this is the reality of what I want us to learn what we are involved in. We're either in one or the other, folks. Listen, if you're not for God, you are actually under the control of the evil one, whether or not, listen, 
You're conscious of it. Whether or not you're conscious of it. In fact, you may be passive, completely passive, and it doesn't matter. You're either in one or the other. I think a good place for us to begin this morning as we talk about spiritual conflict, spiritual warfare, is Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to go there in just a moment. Paul pens this letter to um, Christians who are in Ephesus. It's a, a church that he helped to start. And he's getting ready to close the letter out. But it's really important what he writes Right before the ending, near the closing of this letter, I want to read these verses out loud to you. They'll be behind me on the screen. I want you to follow along, and I want you to notice um, these statements are pretty profound. They're regarding spiritual warfare. Paul writes this. He says, finally, because he's getting ready to close this letter. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord. Not in your own strength, by the way, okay? In the Lord and in his mighty power. And then Paul commands this. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. There's this idea, remember? People are not our enemy, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul has laid a foundation for us, and it's this foundation where I want to dive into this morning. Before we do that, can we take a few moments, church, to pray together? Um, Let's pray. Let's ask God, the Holy Spirit, to really just speak to our hearts to illuminate, to reveal, to give us a revelation of what he wants to communicate to each and every one of us, not only corporately, but also individually, because God knows where you're at. We're all in different places in our lives. We're facing different circumstances, and the Lord knows that. And and that's the beautiful thing about God, is he knows us personally. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And we remember, God, that you are, um, you are enough, that you are Jireh, that you are our provider, as we just sang about uh, uh, several minutes ago. God, um, without you, we have nothing, but with you, we have everything. And so, Lord, we just come to you this morning, and we ask that you might open blind eyes this morning, spiritual eyes, that, that is. God, we ask that you um, would unlock deaf ears. Lord, we ask this morning that you would soften hardened hearts. Uh, Sometimes life gets really incredibly difficult, and because of that, our heart gets gets hardened. It it just gets hardened to the things of God. And so, Holy Spirit, would you today, would you soften hearts today in this room? Those who are watching online as well, soften hearts so that we can actually receive this message and, and live it out, God. We love you. We need you. Um, God, we're broken without you, Lord. And so, God, would you begin to just minister to us as we listen, as we apply the word of truth uh, to our lives. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know if you knew this, but did you know that in every, I did a little research, in every military battle, there are at least two sides to what we see happening. Every military battle, it's true. There's at least two sides to what we see happening. On one side, what we see are, you know, soldiers 
engaged on the front lines. They're putting their lives at risk in harm's way to, um, to complete an objective to defeat an enemy. That's one side. Now, the other side of the equation, um, there are also generals uh, uh, and, and colonels for the army and admirals for the navy, and they're the higher-ups. They're behind the scenes, and what are they doing? Well, they're calling the shots. They're giving orders. They're strategizing, right? We don't see them, but they're calling the shots. They're giving orders. They're determining what the next move is for those soldiers caught up in the front lines. Now, on top of this, listen, on top of that, we also have politicians. And politicians are normally in negotiations with who? With other countries. So you have the front lines. You have colonels behind the scenes. And then you also have politicians actually negotiating with other countries. And so here's what we learn about military warfare. It's not always a matter of blood and guts on the front lines. Military warfare is actually about um, diplomacy. It's about espionage. It's about negotiations and about maneuvering behind the scenes. Now, check this out. In many cases, in many cases, things going on behind the scenes can have a greater impact on the outcome of the war than the fighting on the front lines. And just watch any, you know, military movie or uh, maybe a, a television, Netflix sort of military series. Now, of course, listen, it'll be dramatized. We know this. But you'll still catch a glimpse of this tension uh, that exists between those who are engaged in battle and those who are in, you know, behind the scenes, calling the shots, making moves, giving orders, things of that nature. Now, I want you to keep this principle in mind, church, because this idea, I want you to carry it into what? Spiritual warfare. Carry it into spiritual warfare that there's also two sides. There's what we see in the physical and the earthly battle that we're facing each and every day. And then there's something going on behind the scenes that we're, we can't see with our physical eyes. Does that make sense? Something going on behind the scenes that we cannot see with our physical eyes. And this leads me to uh, my first big idea for this morning, and that's this. There's always something that you cannot see influencing what you can see. Let me say it one more time. There's always something you can't see, okay? Now, this is true. You might not, you might not think this is real, but this is real, okay? This is, this is real. There's always something you can't see influencing what you can see, right? Now, we can also say it like this. We can also say it like this. Spiritual warfare is the description of the spiritual war taking place behind the scenes, behind what? The earthly war. Okay? So spiritual warfare is the description, okay, of the spiritual war taking place behind the earthly war. That gives us kind of a, um, an introductory definition for us to, 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 to build upon for this message series, okay? Now, here's what we experience in the here and now in, on the earth. What do we experience, guys? We experience conflict. 
right? Conflict at work. How many of you got some conflict at work? We all got some conflict at work, right? <laughs> we got some disagreements at work. We got some tensions. We got some tension. You got a tension between a coworker, right? It's like, I'm not talking to that coworker right now. We're not on speaking terms, right? Right? Maybe that's you right now. What do we, what do we experience in our life? We, temptations, right? We, we experience divisions, some trash talking. Divisions in the church happens all the time. Comes towards me a lot, actually. All right? We, we, divisions in the church are divisions at home. So we have those things. We experience those things in the here and now. But Paul is trying to say to us this. Paul's trying to say, hey, 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 wait up. Hold on for just a moment. I want you to know, you know, you, you experience those things, but there's something going on behind the scenes that's stirring the pot. You know what I mean? Influencing the things that you do see. Right? That's the first big principle of spiritual warfare. If you don't get that down you'll be unable to sort of build a theology of spiritual warfare, okay? The second thing I want you to notice about what Paul said, just from the get-go, verse number 11, did you notice that Paul says the devil has schemes? That's kind of interesting. What is schemes? What are schemes? Schemes are our strategies, tactics. Now, the idea is this. The enemy, our spiritual enemy, right, has strategies and tactics that he's using against you and me, myself, all of us included. Now, again, you may not, like, maybe you, that doesn't make much sense, but I want to tell you, I'm here this morning to tell you that it's true. Have you ever heard of the acronym HALT? Maybe you haven't. I'll teach it to you briefly. But there's an acronym that I've heard before that preachers use. It's called HALT, H-A-L-T, and these are some of the, the tactics of the enemy, some of his schemes that the devil comes a-knocking, right? The flesh is weak when HALT takes place. What's HALT, Marco? HALT is this, H for hungry, A for angry, L for lonely when you're lonely, and T for tired, right? So the enemy comes knocking, flesh is weak, when halt happens, when you're, when you're hungry, when you're angry. And guess what? When you're hungry and you're angry, what do you get? Hangry, okay? And when you're hangry, guess what happens? All hell breaks loose. Come on, someone, right? Can I get an amen for that one, right? right? When you're hangry, all hell's about to break loose. When you're lonely, you're like, man, I, I'm look, I, I wish I had a boyfriend. I wish I had a girlfriend. You're swiping. Or swip oh, you keep messaging that girl who told you, I don't want anything to do with you. <laughs> right? You're like, no, I'm going to try to. You, you, you're lonely. You're, you're just like, I'm going to do this my way. Okay? You're, you're trying to swipe right to find that person. You're going to make a phone call at 2 in the morning, if you know what I'm talking about. Unless you're too holy for that. I don't know. Right? Okay? Tired? Right? I'm tired of a long day of work, honey. You make your own. You make your own dinner. I ain't doing that. You Shoot, kids are belong to you right now. Those are your kids, not my kids, right? I had a stressful day. I'm tired. Leave me alone. I don't want to talk right now. Just stay away. Your defenses are down, right? The enemy comes a-knocking. This is what we mean. The enemy has what? Schemes. He's got schemes. He's trying to throw you off your course. He's trying to throw a wrench in your plans. I want you to remember that the battle is not against people, okay? So the enemy is not your spouse, okay? All right, so just want to reassure you, the enemy is not your spouse, okay? The enemy is not your boss, even though you might not like your boss, okay? The enemy is not your coworker. Now, the enemy will use your coworker, but the enemy is actually not your coworker. I love what Pastor John Zondervan says, that people are not the problem, people are the prize. I love that, right? But there's a battle, 
being waged, being fought between who? Between believers and the unseen, but the very real spiritual forces. That's what I want you to notice here. Notice what Paul says in verse number 12. He says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the what? In the heavenly realms. That word struggle, that word struggle in the Greek actually resembles the word wrestling. Wrestling. Have you ever been in a wrestling match? If you're a guy, you probably have because we all go through our 20s. We're trying to prove ourselves to our friends, right? And what do we do? We knock, a, we knock over a bunch of lamps and furniture. I've done it, right? You just go through your 20s. It's just, yeah, it's terrible. Anyways, listen, when you're in a wrestling match, <laughs> maybe you can't relate to that, but if you're wrestling with your kids, you can relate to this, right? When you're in a wrestling match, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. I mean, and kids are laughing, but they're trying to, what are they, what are they trying to do? They're trying to pin daddy down, right? trying to, my, my son just try, sits on my back, right? whatever he can do to get Daggy down. They're trying to pin me down. But wrestling, a wrestling match is a struggle. And the idea is this, is that Paul wants us to see that spiritual warfare is actually more like um, hand-to-hand combat. It's, it's, it's a struggle. It's a wrestling match, so to speak. And Paul says we have these enemies, these rulers, authorities, powers, right, principalities, What's up with this list? Why does Paul go through this list? Some of us may be slightly confused about this. Like, okay, I thought, I've heard of demons, but I've never heard, heard of these things. And, and, and we could go into a whole teaching about these things, but I just simply want to say this, is that Paul suggests that there is a hierarchy, listen, of evil spirit beings who do the bidding of Satan to oppose the will of God here on the, here on the earth. Okay, so that's what he's referring to here. There's a hierarchy of evil spirit beings who do Satan's bidding to oppose the will of God in your marriage, to oppose the will of God in your family, to oppose the will of God in the local church, right? The Lord Jesus wants our church to grow. Satan would love to bring division so that more people do not come to Radiant Church, right? It's just, I mean, it's just plain sort of spiritual mathematics, divisions, all coming from evil spirit beings. Now, as I say some of this, some of you in here this morning, I don't know where you're coming from. Uh, some of you come from like more Baptist backgrounds um, where this was never mentioned. Um, some of you come from extremely charismatic backgrounds where it's like, it's like this was talked about every single week. Like you did a, like you did a 50-part sermon series on spiritual warfare, right? Um, some of you are a little bit in between where um, you kind of like you're learning about it, but you're not really sure what you believe when it comes to spiritual warfare. And so let me say this at the outset. Let me, let me say this, that when we approach spiritual warfare, there are two common errors that people make. And like I said, today's a lot of teaching, okay? There are two common errors that people make when it comes to spiritual warfare. The first one is this, under-emphasis, under-emphasis. Some people completely ignore the spiritual realm and the fact that the Bible, okay, tells us our battles are against spiritual powers. Some people just ignore this. They just, you know, they, they choose to not believe. They choose to not give any attention, right? Some people are like, hey, you know what? That, in the first century, Marco, that, that was a thing. But we're so much more enlightened. We have, we have rationalism. We have education now. We have universities. And we're so much more smarter than those people in the first century, you know, um, 
C.S. Lewis calls this chronological snobbery. This idea that we think that we're better off or, or more brilliant than those in the past. Right, so some people are, are simply say, oh, that's just silly. That, that, you know, the devil, all that stuff, that's, a, that's cartoonish. And yeah, he, the, the devil has little horns and spandex red tights on and he runs around. Oh, that's so cute. That's like comic book stuff, right? That's one error that we could make. And a lot of Christians are actually erring on that side, okay? The second error that we can make is an overemphasis, which is exactly the opposite, right? An overemphasis. Others blame every sin, every conflict, and every problem on demons that need to be cast out, right? I, I mean, I, I've met those types of Christians. God bless them, but, but it's like, okay, like your head is way in the clouds. It's like, you know, come back down to earth a little bit, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I was, I was late for work the third day in a row, Pastor Marco, that demon is attacking me. And I'm like, you know what? The devil is probably after you, but you probably just need to set your alarm earlier. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not the demon of tardiness. You just, you set your alarm 20 minutes earlier and then get up. It's called you're lazy. That's what's happening right there, right? So yes, in some degrees, that's a little bit of spiritual warfare, but not to, the, not to the point where we think it's a demon. The demon of tardiness is shooting an arrow at us. And boss, I just couldn't get up this morning because the demon of tardiness shot me with a flaming arrow, all right? C.S. Lewis, brilliant man, brilliant, brilliant writer. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, humanity falls into two equal and opposite errors concerning the devil. Either they take him altogether too seriously, or they do not take him seriously enough. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? So where should we be on this scale of um, underemphasis and then overemphasis? Well, here's my take. My take is this. My take is we should be somewhere in the middle if it's possible. Can I argue for that? During this six-week message series, I'm going to argue for, let's take the devil, let's take demonic influence very, very seriously, okay? But let's also take responsibility for our own actions in life, okay? So let's travel down that road right in the middle. Yes, let's, let's take it. Let's pray strategically 100%. 100%. Pray strategically against the, the schemes of the enemy. I'm all for that. You should do that, right? Pray against temptations at the workplace, okay? Uh, maybe the opposite sex. There's temptations there. Pray, pray against that, but also take responsibility, right? Take action for yourself and your own duties, your own, right? your own personal well-being. And so when we think about, when we think about spiritual warfare or spiritual conflict, the Bible tells us that spiritual warfare is carried out on three different fronts. Three different fronts, church. Listen to this. So th again, let's go back to um, uh, military because we understand the military. Uh, military warfare uh, is, is played out on three different fronts. You have land because you have foot soldiers, tanks, uh, things of that like. You also have uh, air, you, you know, fighter jets flying overhead, dropping bombs, those types of things. And then what do you have? You have sea as well. A sea, uh, you know, aircraft carriers, battleships, again, things of that like. So three different fronts. The same is true for spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is carried out on three different fronts. And here it is. Number one, it's the devil. Number two, the flesh. 
And number three, the world. These are really, really important. This is what I talked about in the very beginning of my message. Spiritual warfare is carried out on three different fronts. This is really, really vital for you to get. Number one, it's the devil. Number two, it's the flesh. And number three, it's the world. Now, I want to spend some time with you talking a little bit more in depth about each of these three things this morning, okay? And then we'll, we'll wrap it up with some prayer, with some hope from the scripture, of course. But I want us to take some time to investigate what this truly means. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And in this section of scripture, what you're going to notice, this is such a cool part of scripture, you guys, because in this section of scripture, the apostle Paul lists all three of these things in sort of just a few verses of scripture. He lists all of them, and I want you to notice them. Uh, they'll be underlined for you, for you to notice them, but check it out. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed, what does it say there, the ways of this world. It's your first one right there. World shows up right there. Did you know that this world has ways? It's number one, the ways of this world. And of, here it is, the second one, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who is Paul talking to about there? Satan. That's right, the devil. He's talking about the devil. He calls him the ruler of the kingdom of the air. It's a pretty fascinating title. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, all of us in this room, you're watching online, you too are included. All of us who lived among them are at one time, we're at one time gratifying the cravings of our, what church? Flesh. And there's the third one. The devil, the world, the flesh. And following its what? Desires and thoughts. Thoughts, right? Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So apart from Jesus Christ, this is sort of a profound theological statement. Apart from Jesus Christ, we do not deserve love and mercy. Well, what we have coming for us is actually the wrath of God. And I know that doesn't sound very loving or popular, but that's actually the reality of it, is that apart from Christ, the wrath of God, that's, that's our end. Why? That sounds so mean, Marco, because we, we've fallen short of the glory of God. With, we're sinners. And if we remain in our sin, we'll die in it. That's what Scripture says. So let's break these down for a few moments. Let's talk about the flesh uh, first and foremost. The flesh is, is, a, is a Greek word called sarx, S-A-R-X. That's the way you transliterate it, I believe. Sarx, the flesh. Now, the flesh doesn't refer to um, your bones or you know, blood or vessels, you know, your heart. It, it's not talking about that. The flesh is actually referring to this, animalistic cravings of our body apart from God. Animalistic cravings of our body apart from God. Now, this specifically pertains to, most of the time, to two things. And here it is, <laughs> sex and food. You can't go a sermon without talking about sex, right? Sex and food. Animalistic cravings apart from God. 
Now, it can also refer to any other sort of craving, um, general pleasure that is experienced apart from, from God. But Paul describes this spiritual conflict concerning the flesh in Romans chapter 7. Okay, so I want to I wanna talk about this first. Let's go to Romans 7. It's a long passage of Scripture, but I would love for you to hang with me. Many of you are familiar with it, but it's so important for this message today. So Romans 7, beginning in verse 15, Paul says, I do not understand what I do. Paul's like, I, I don't get it. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Has anyone ever been there before? Have you ever wanted to do the right thing, but you found yourself doing the wrong thing? None of you. Wow, you are amazing. <laughs> verse 16. And if I do not do what I want, okay, there's a lot of do's in here, so be patient with me. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. And it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. Paul says, I'm not actually good. That it is in my sinful nature, for I have, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out, right? You may, you may say to yourself, I really want to do the right thing, but I keep doing the wrong thing. The, the thing I know I shouldn't be doing, I keep doing that. I keep doing that thing, Wh whatever it is for you. It could be, you know, your language. It could be um, a relationship. It could be sexual activity. I mean, you name it, right? You name it. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do this I keep on doing. Now, if I do not, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. It's like I don't want to eat the Twinkie. I, I do want the Twinkie. No, I don't. No, I no, give me the Twinkie right now before I rip your head off, right? and you're on like the keto diet, you know what I'm saying? Give me the pound of bread. Goodness gracious, okay, Lord help me. It's, I'm, yeah, it's the inner struggle right now for me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me what? A prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Paul is just saying what you and I have experienced. I try to do the right thing, Pastor Marco. I tried not to do that thing. I tried. I just, uh, just, I just, uh, I just did it, and I didn't want to do it. And then after I did it, I felt guilty. I felt so bad because I knew I shouldn't have done it. I tried to be nice to her. Instead, I yelled at her, called her a name, tried not to do whatever it is for you, right? Food and sex oftentimes is, is the strongest pull on us, right? This is the cry of every person. Paul was a believer when he said this, when he, when he wrote this, and if you've been following Jesus for more than a day, you can relate to this. Come on. I, I mean, certainly I can relate to, the, to this. There's things I know I shouldn't do, say, and think, and guess what? Sometimes I find myself doing those things. I shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have thought that. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. Shoot. God, here I am. Forgive me. 
I want to be more like you. I want to be holy, God. I want to live a life that pleases you, right? Paul is talking about spiritual warfare. So if you've ever had that kind of battle, that is, guess what? Spiritual warfare. That's spiritual warfare. That's what Paul is saying here, right? Now, second, I want you to see Paul uses that phrase, the ways of this world. And again, when I say world, I don't mean uh, necessarily trees and grass, physical world. That's not what the Bible writers meant. We, want, we, we don't want to... We don't want to ask the question, what does this mean to me? That's not a good question to do in Bible study. Eh, do, not, do not ask that question. Rather, ask this question, what did the first Bible writers mean to the first ones who read it? You have to root yourself in some sort of in, right, legitimate interpretation, or else the Bible just becomes whatever you want it to mean to you. Okay, that's, that won't work. People do that. Instead, you have to ask the question, what, does, what did this mean to the first audience? What did that writer mean when he wrote it, okay? And so when we refer to the world, when Paul or John refers to the world, here's what they mean. The world refers to human systems that operate in ungodly ways, right? Human systems that operate in ungodly ways. These are, of course, ideologies, right? These are patterns of thinking. These are agendas. These are narratives that, um, you know, so, so often now they're, they're just being shoved down our throat, being pushed in our face by, you know, big tech and media and, and government and, and, and even some branches of education, right? I mean, this is like identity politics. This is like wokeism. This is all that stuff that just kind of gets shoved into our face, like just like we're, we're, we're force-fed this information, these agendas. Jerry Brashears is a theologian, and he says this, the world is Satan's domain where his authority and values reign. Though his deception makes that hard to realize, if you are of the world, then it all seems right. So if you're of the world, like none of that stuff seems foreign or wrong. It's just like, hey, this is kind of the way that we do stuff. You know, it's kind of the way, this is all normal. This is all good. And you're like, I, I don't know. No, no, that's actually not what me and my spouse believe. That, no, really? And they're like, no, this is just normal. This is the way things are, right? So if you're a part of the world, you just kind of fall in line with the world's patterns of thinking, right? Check this out, church. The world shows up 186 times in the New Testament. 186 times in the New Testament, right? Again, what is the world? Secularism, right? Postmodernism. All those types of isms we see are evidence of the world's systems. And there are times where we can and we do participate in them, right? 100%. There are times where we do and we can participate in them. 1 John 2, 15 and 16, John writes this. Notice how many times he uses the phrase the world. Do not love the world. Paul's, John's not saying you can't celebrate Earth Day, by the way, remember? Okay. Celebrate Earth Day, plant a tree. I'm for that, Okay. Do not love the world or anything in the world. He's talking about the systems, right? The, 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 the way the world operates. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Everything in the world, Paul says, here's the definition, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is, comes not from the Father, but it comes from where, the church? The world. The world. These ungodly systems, these patterns of thinking, the way things operate. It seems normal to everyone around us, but to the believer, it should say, ah, there's a check in my spirit. That's not right. 
that, that doesn't line up with my values. That may be your values, but I have kingdom values, and they're different, right? So we operate with a different value system. We do, and we should, okay? Finally, there's the devil, the devil. The devil's a fallen angel, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. You can read about those. Commentators say it's a prophecy, but it's also, there's more. It's more than just a prophecy in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. It's actually, it's a, it's a shadowing of Satan. Many scholars and commentators say this, right? Now, in the natural eye, it is this sort of prophecy of the nations, but we can also see what's happening behind the scenes there. Jesus uses the word diabolos. Diabolos, it's, it comes from the root word meaning to slander or to accuse. To slander or to accuse. John calls Satan the prince of this world. He's the prince of this world. Isn't that, isn't that wild? Jesus wants us to know that Satan, listen, is the most powerful and influential creature in the world. The most powerful and influential creature in the world. Did you know, or do you remember, remember when Jesus goes to the wilderness and he's tempted? You guys remember that story? Some of you remember that story, right? Jesus goes and he meets Satan and he tempts him three different times. Did you know, in the wilderness scene there, did you know this? The devil claimed that all the kingdoms of the world were his to give away, and Jesus never disagrees with them. Yeah, Jesus never disagrees with them. What, is, what does that mean? We talked about it earlier, 1 John 2, right? I think it was, or 5. 1 John 5, 19, I think it was. The whole world right, is under the control of the evil one, right? except for those who abide in Christ, those who abide in Christ. Paul calls him the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 2. The ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now, we're going to get ready to close. Not quite yet. I want to talk to you quickly about four tactics of the devil, and then we'll move into something hopeful for you to go home with, because I don't want to leave you discouraged, leave you feeling like, oh, man, this is great news, Pastor Mark. Oh, I love church today. Wow. I feel so uplifted, right? I have an enemy who hates my guts. Wonderful, right? Four tactics of the enemy. You need to know this, though, because if not, you'll be naive to it, all right? That's the result of a lot, a lot of Christians are living sort of in that area. All right, number one tactic, one of the tactics, no particular order. Number one, accusation, accusation. Revelation 12, 10, Satan is called the accuser there, the accuser. You know what it means to accuse? Uh, accusing, essentially, Satan is trying to, or reminding you of all the bad things about your life, right? You're, you're not smart enough. You're not handsome enough. You should have went to that school. You, you are terrible at relationships. You're a bad mom. You're such a terrible mother. Your kids are going to hate you when they grow up, right? He reminds you. He's trying to point out to you everything that is wrong with your life. He's accusing you before, before all of heaven. He wants you to feel, here it is, guilty, shameful, and unworthy. If you're feeling that this morning, can I just tell you, you're in the midst, in the middle of a spiritual attack. He wants you to feel shameful, unworthy, and guilty. Why? Because Satan knows that if we continually feel guilty, we will never rise up in victory. 
Come on. Too many Christians are living this life where they're completely defeated. I, I, I've met them, right? Well, I don't, I'm nobody, Pastor Marco. I just, I don't, I don't need this. And I, I'm, I don't, I'm, that's never going to happen to me. And I, you know, it's just like, whoa, what, what, what is wrong with you? Do you not? Whoa, whoa, whoa. And I have to point this out to some people. Hey, the way that you're speaking, you're actually speaking death over your life. You're giving in to all the fiery darts, flaming arrows of the enemy. Apparently, they stuck in you. And it happens to all of us, every single one of us. Sometimes we need a friend. We need a spouse to come along and say, hey, honey, it's okay. It's going to be all right. We got this. Jesus is on our side. If God is for us, who can stand against us? Right? Come on, let's pray together. Let's pray. I know it's hard. I'm not trying to diminish anyone's trial. Not at all. But this is Satan's one of his tactics, accusation. Number two, deception, deception. Satan deceives the world because Satan is a liar. We know this, right? John chapter 8. Jesus said that Satan is the father of all lies. So let me just ask you a question, right? What lies are you believing? Are you believing lies? What lies are you believing? Satan knows that if he can begin to, to have you believe a lie, listen, that you'll, you'll do more than sort of intellectual assent. You'll do more than just believe it. You'll begin to live out the destructive ends of that lie. Some Christians begin to believe a lie, and it eventually becomes a reality. It, it becomes their truth. Why? Because they begin to live it out. I'm worthless, Okay. Let's, let's take that, that, that statement, I'm worthless, I'm ugly. Let's take that statement and live it out. If you live a life where you believe you're worthless, you're ugly, the, your whole entire life, you, it could end in devastation. It could end in devastation. You'll always live underneath, right, your God-given capabilities and abilities. Number three, temptation. Satan is called the tempter in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 3. To tempt means to entice, to entice. Satan entices us to do evil, right? Satan places before us, in front of us, objects, things, people. And he says, look at this. This is nice. You want to have that? You deserve that. You should have that. Why don't you go, why don't you go after that? Why don't you do that thing? Hey, no one's going to know. Pastor Marco's not here right now. He's not going to know. Your church family's not here right now. You can go ahead and steal that. You can go ahead and think that. Go ahead and send that text. Go ahead and send that text right now. Go ahead and swipe right. Swipe right. Keep, go ahead and find, go ahead and call her. Go ahead and make that 2 a.m. call, right? And he takes things, listen, and he, he, things that we know are evil, and he makes them desirable or pleasurable. He's trying to deceive us, entice us into sin. And the only way that we'll be able to attain that object, that person, that thing, whatever it is, is through what? Disobedience to God. Disobedience to God. Satan says, why don't you disobey God? His way sucks. You got to wait. You got to live with integrity. You can't sleep around. Boring. Why don't you, why don't you do it my way? Why don't you do it my way? All right. She wants it too. She wants it too. Come on, do it my way, right? Whispers in your ear. Finally, number four, hindrance. Hindrance. First Thessalonians 2.18. These come from Derek Prince. If you've never heard of Derek Prince, he's um, written a ton on spiritual warfare. Um, 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Paul says this, for we wanted it to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. It's interesting, huh? 
Satan blocked our way. Here's what Paul is trying to communicate to the church. Satan will put obstacles in our way to prohibit us from doing the will of God. Satan will put obstacles in our way to prohibit us from doing the will of God. Why? Because Satan wants to thwart God's plans. Satan wants to resist and oppose all of God's plans for your life. So Satan will intervene. He'll try to hinder you from doing the thing that you're called to do, which is obey God and live for him. It's the four tactics that the enemy has. Why should we learn about these? We should learn about these so, so that we're prepared, so that we're battle ready, church. We should not remain naive to the tactics of the enemy. I understand some people have taken this way too far, and you've seen the videos of people screaming at a demon, maybe, or, or barking, or just like, just crazy, and you're like, oh, that's spiritual warfare. That's ridiculous. I get that, but listen, it doesn't mean that you can just simply ignore it, right? As we come to a close, listen, as we come to a close, I understand that this can seem a bit overwhelming, daunting, intimidating, and I don't want to leave you like that. I don't want to leave you discouraged. I surely don't want to leave you in fear. We are not to live in fear, okay? This is not for you to live in fear. I want to give you some hope. I want to remind you that we fight a defeated enemy. Come on, someone, right? We fight a defeated enemy. Do you know what the Satan's end is? The lake of fire. Jesus is going to throw him in there, right? His end is complete obliteration. So we face a defeated foe. We face a defeated foe. And what our strength we can draw strength from the finish, the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Here's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I love this. Yeah, clap your hands this morning. This is a passage of scripture that says Jesus has won the war for us. And listen, while we're in this, while we're in the flesh, while we're in the world, yes, we will get attacked. Yes, the enemy will come for us. Yes, but ultimately, we can look towards our end and know that the devil is a defeated foe, that Jesus took our sin and he nailed it to the cross. He canceled the debt that we owed. He canceled it by nailing it to the cross. Jesus triumphed over all of our enemies. He made a public spectacle of them. Church, here's what Paul wants to say. In the first century, when a general went into battle, when he overcame his enemy, here's what, here's what he would do. He would, he would parade the enemy through the streets to make what? A spectacle of them. This is what would happen in first century sort of Roman warfare, ancient warfare. And the people would cheer like, yeah, we won the victory, right? And they're parading through the town on these different carts would be different prisoners of war making a complete spectacle, uh, completely humiliated. This is what Paul's trying to say. 
Paul's saying this is what Jesus has done for us. A triumph, listen, is a public demonstration and celebration of that victory. We have a victory in Jesus Christ. He's made a public spectacle of our enemies, of our rulers, of the authorities, of the principalities, of the powers of darkness. Jesus has won the victory. And now, listen, while we fight, while we still fight here on earth, listen, we call upon the one who is all victorious, Jesus Christ, who has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. And as we close today, I want to pray for you. I want to also just say this. Today, if you're here and you're not living for Jesus, listen, you don't stand a chance against the enemy. Your default, listen, is following the ways of the devil by default, okay? Resisting the devil only comes through what? Submission to God. That's what James 4, 7 says. Resist the devil, submit to God. Would you submit your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ this morning? Wherever you're at this morning, wherever you're here, if you're new, if you're a non-believer, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, hey, I want to invite you this morning, would you submit yourself today, right now, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me in a moment for your sins to be forgiven, for God to, for his spirit to enter into you, to renew you, to give you a new heart, to set your life on a, a trajectory with the kingdom of God in mind. Would you do that with me right now? Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much. God, for this introduction to uh, spiritual warfare. And God, we don't leave here afraid. We leave here rather encouraged, rather full of confidence, rather equipped with the Word of God. God, thank you for your truth. The truth is, is what we need to combat every single lie of the enemy. We need your truth. God, we must cling to your truth today. Lord, today for some of us, maybe we're here and we've never, we've never given our lives over to Jesus Christ. Today's that day. Paul says, today is the day of salvation. Today, God, we submit to God, and therefore, by submitting to God, we resist the devil. Lord, we come to you right now. Would you forgive us of our sins? God, I've sinned greatly, Lord. I turn away from my sin, and I turn to Jesus Christ. God, wash me, wash me with, uh, wash me afresh. God, cleanse me of all my sin. Give me a new life. God, replace my heart of stone with a heart of flesh this morning. God, I turn away from evil and I turn to Jesus this morning. God, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you lived the life that I couldn't live and you died the death that I deserved. Jesus, you are Lord and I am not. Jesus, you are holy and I am not. Make me holy, God. I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my days. Give me a new heart. Make me into a new creation. Right now, I trust Jesus with all that I am. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's clap our hands this morning.